So hello and welcome to another episode of Abstract, the podcast of the Metropolitan Educational Research Consortium and the School of Education at Virginia Commonwealth University, where we explore issues and ideas in public uh, PK-12 education. My name is Fantasy Losada, and I am a faculty affiliate of Merck and the host of today's podcast. Over the past two years, Merck has been working with a group of about 40 educators on the ART CRT, or as we call it, Art Crit Project, that stands for Action Research Teams for Culturally Responsive Teaching. The project is a collaboration between Merck, Henrico County Public Schools, and Chesterfield County Public Schools. And since the summer of 2019, uh, Art Crit program has worked with educators from two high schools in Chesterfield, Monacan and Meadowbrook, and two middle schools in Henrico, Cuyacasin, and Tuckahoe. These teachers, counselors, librarians, and deans, all educators, they designed and carried out classroom-based action research projects to answer questions about their culturally responsive teaching practices and to support their own professional growth in this area. So here with me today, we have four educators from that program that are going to speak to us about what they've learned and to share advice for others interested in taking this journey and becoming a culturally responsive educator. So let me introduce them to you now. Uh, we have Shannon McCauley, and Shannon is an English and yearbook teacher at Meadowbrook High School in Chesterfield, and she's been teaching for 20 years. We also have Elizabeth Murray, and she's a history teacher at Tuckahoe Middle School in Henrico County Public Schools. Uh, she is doing her seventh year of teaching, and she is also a VCU alum. Brewster Brown is a school counseling director at Tuckahoe Middle School in Henrico County Public Schools, and this is his 23rd year in the county and his 21st year as a school counselor. He was born in Virginia, and his primary and secondary education took place in Tucson, Arizona. And finally, we have Vicki Brucker, who is a teacher at Cuyacasin Middle School, and she came into education later in life. Uh, in Wisconsin, she started as a library media specialist, and before moving to Virginia, she spent her last year as a technology integrator. Since moving to Virginia, she's been a middle school English language arts teacher. In her first three years in the sixth, she spent first three years teaching in the sixth grade, and her last two in COVID in the seventh grade. Uh, so as part of the uh, Art Crit project, uh, teachers have been doing a variety of different activities to be able to grow themselves as these culturally responsive educators. Uh, we've been having uh, cycle meetings, or what we call them, throughout the year, uh, in which teachers come together and they sort of talk about what they've been working on in the classroom, uh, specifically related around action research projects, which you'll talk about here in just a moment. And within these action research projects, they're literally just trying out different practices that they've been reading about, seeing about, seeing uh, ways to be able to infuse culture into the classroom practices, into different uh, activities and assignments, and trying to understand how does this help their students learn and the ways that are best and that speak truly to their experiences. So they get to support one another through these peer networks, uh, through our cycle meetings. They uh, collect a little data regarding just trying to understand, are their students doing better on their tests or are there assignments? Um, are their students seeming to feel like they're more connected in the classroom? Uh, and then they take that information and they do another cycle, as we call it, of research, where they alter their practices again, uh, maybe just a little bit more to understand 
how their practices in the classroom impact their students. But I'm gonna stop talking now and I'm gonna let them talk a little bit about um, their particular action research projects. Um, you can either talk about action research projects that you've done recently, or maybe one of your favorite ones, but let's go around and share. Shannon, can we start off with you? Sure. Um, so the majority of my research over the two years has centered around um, culturally relevant text. I teach English, um, as mentioned, and one of the things that I noticed is that a lot of the text, the standard canon, didn't reflect, or our students weren't reflected in the canon. So I wanted to really focus on looking at what text we could use, what we could pair with the typical canon, and how that would impact student performance, student participation, and buy-in. Of course, it's been a challenge with COVID. So I did switch gears a little bit. I'm needing to backtrack after talking to students after one of our cycles um, about ways that they might feel safer being engaged. Um, the virtual learning thing kind of sent everything around. So um, the last half of this year has been focused on figuring out how to foster engagement in a virtual world, helping students have more buy-in and um, I don't want to say responsibility, but um, motivation for their own learning. That sounds great, Shannon. Thanks. What about you, Elizabeth? What have you been working on? Hi. Um, so my first year doing um, my uh, project, I was focused mostly on representation in the history classroom, cultural representation in the history classroom. Um, but this year with COVID, I took a step back and I wanted to focus on building relationships, which lead to engagement in the classroom. Um, and so what I have been calling my, this site, my cycle four presentation is building trust through sharing identities. And so just really focusing on getting to build relationships on a human and student teacher level, student to student level, and how that helps us grow as a class community, how it helped engagement and how it helped academic achievement. Very cool. Thanks, Elizabeth. What about you, Brewster? What have you been doing? I've been working uh, the last couple of years with uh, our population of students. We have over 200 students learning Spanish and about close to 100 native Spanish speakers in our building. And the, the concept of our group Tertulia Ola is to bring the students that are learning Spanish, particularly they've been taking it for two years. So they're in their in their second uh, full high school credit year of Spanish. So they've got some background and then we're working there. We're meeting with the students who are native Spanish speakers that are learning English. Many of them just in their first or second year of learning English. And the idea was to bring them together in the hopes of you know building relationships so that uh each could practice with the other uh the language that they're trying to acquire because each group had what the other needed which was in in the spanish learners case learning spanish and then in the english learners case learning english and um you know just what what transpires when when you bring those two groups together to to practice and learn about each other. 
Great, I love it. And before we move to Vicky, I just wanted to clarify for our listeners, what is Tertulia? You mentioned that when you mentioned this club. Uh, tertulia is a, is, is a Spanish word uh, that basically means like a, a, an educational group. I think, I think it might be like cohort could be a, a word for Tertulia. It's, it's like a, a, a learning group. Cool, thanks. And Vicki, what have you been working on? Um, so over the last couple of years, um, I started out really just um, making, trying to make connections. Um, middle school and seventh grade is probably the hardest year of school. Um, and so my first year was just making connections um, with students that are different than me, with students between students that are different from each other. This last year, um, I really wanted to take that um, to uh, the next level. Um, so we really learned about ourselves. We learned about each other. We learned about people um, that were like us, that were courageous and strong. Um, we learned about our groups and what kind of groups we belong to. Um, and it was all leading towards this fourth quarter of action. Um, can you, uh, could I, with students learning their identities and learning who they are and, and talking to each other, could I drive them, my sweet little seventh graders, to some sort of action? Um, and uh, I will tell you that, like everyone else, in a COVID world, that was difficult. <laughs> um, it was easy creating the identities and, and the connections, but then to push to action was hard um, in a COVID world. But um, but it, it would, it's been a great learning experience for me for the last couple of years. Thanks so much for sharing, Vicki. Uh, so all today, we're really talking about culturally responsive teaching and the ways in which it centers students. Our episode today is talking about sharing ownership of the classroom with students. Uh, so let's start off a little bit by talking about how you think culturally responsive teaching as a type of teaching practice takes a different type of approach to centering students and their experiences in the classroom. Brewster, can you start us off? Certainly. Um, I think the most important uh, aspect of this different approach is based around like the curiosity that you have for your uh, students perspective. Um, bringing them into a classroom for the, you know, for the first time is a good teacher is going to develop the relationship with the student. And one way to do that is to make that student feel like their perspective, their take on the world as a, an 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 year old is, is, is of the, of the idea that, you know, I, I may know as the teacher or the school counselor, I may know more about this, this subject, but, uh, my student probably knows more about what it's like to be a 12 year old in 2021 than I do. And to meet the student as a, you know, a student centered uh, classroom is going to be the most successful, I think, teaching learning experience. And that may also be that that student 
comes from or has a cultural background that is different from my own. And I know that in 2021, I mean, we all the world's cultures are are available to us now. I mean, we can we can learn about every culture in the world and we can all learn, share and explore that. And by offering this opportunity to try and take what what is our subject or topic and to try and meet the students you know where they're coming from and 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 get them to be encouraged by you know who they are and where they come from and that their story has a a relevance to 2021 to our community that can um you know build and make our community more resilient and more interesting ultimately is culturally responsive teaching different from other types of teaching approaches you think in terms of centering students i th i think in you know coming from a counseling background i mean it is always about you know what where's the student coming from um and that can be their personal and social health their academic health and then like where where what career do they want to go to so as a school counselor, you know, we're always learning um, active listening and being able to paraphrase what they're saying. And so to then use uh, this new cultural lens of, of, of basically trying to integrate uh, the different cultures in the classroom into the, the subject is uh, I think it's it's second nature almost to school counseling and obviously it might be something different for a content focused teacher that uh has a has a rubric and has uh benchmarks that they have to follow and so i i think it's a it's a it's an evolution of of what it means to make a student feel welcome and and get them to feel uh confidence in their ability to to learn and and to feel good about who they are um and i think if we do that through you know culturally responsive way i think it it encourages us to um you know work through some of our 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 biases that we may be aware of or not because if you are connected with if you if you make a a connection with students you realize that maybe the the connection that I have with with people is more important than than some bias or or stereotype that I may have about others, and and uh, it helps us just move forward in our community, in the relationships in the classroom, and uh, because ultimately the best is is to have a have a a teaching style that uh, allows you to feel like they understand that you're. A, a vulnerable, educated human being that is trying to help them become, you know, functioning adults and to learn these concepts. And I think if that, if there's that mutual respect, uh, you're, you're, you're going to be successful in the classroom. I, I just like to bump off of what Brewster was saying. He mentioned um, earlier that, and I do believe that most of us come out of school out of teaching school, 
knowing that it's really important for us to connect to our students. But I think what makes CRT so different is that it's not just a, a surface connection, it's that background connection, it's that cultural connection that makes CRT different than what mm, we learned in school was a connection um, or the kind of connections that we should have. Um, at, at least that's what I took out of CRT was that it was, a, a, it's a much deeper connection because of the fact that we are highlighting and supporting the background of all students rather than having them, I don't know, come to our level and not that our level is any, you know, wherever our level is, it, 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 it's really going to them. It's going into their background and, and who they are. Um, and I think that's a really important aspect of CRT um, that I had to learn how to do and, and learn how to implement. Because I always felt like I had a safe classroom, um, but I don't think it was a deep, safe classroom, at least not the same kind of classroom that I have today. And um, going off of what Vicki was saying, I totally agree. And I wanted to add, I feel like when we're making these meaningful relationships and connections on this cultural level, it also puts us in a position, and, and Brewster said something along these lines as well, of we're being vulnerable. And I think that makes, I think that when in the past, when I was building relationships, I was very much more stiff about what I told my kids about myself, you know, and you know, there's a professional line. And I mean, obviously there is a line, but I feel like my students are able to know me better, you know, get to know my humor, get to know me on a human level in my culture while I'm learning about them and their culture as well. I, I'd like to pop in there too, along with something Vicki said, like when you talked about bringing them to our level versus us going to their level. And when we're talking about culture, I'm used to a lot of years. This is my 20th year teaching and then however many I was a student of my culture being the dominant culture in the classroom. Um, and I realized that that was when we're talking about bringing them to my level, it's really I've been I've been entering the room as the expert and I, I should be the expert for language arts and literature and writing and stuff. But it was all being done through my culture and my culture was the culture of power. Um, and there were just so many students who weren't seeing themselves reflected in there. And so that couldn't be a safe space or a really um, collaborative space because I still had something that they didn't have. And that was that the, the classroom and the culture in the classroom was reflected me and what I was comfortable with, not necessarily what the students were comfortable with and in their experiences. Now, for listeners who cannot see our teachers, uh, and you, you mentioned, Shannon, of you being uh, sort of a part of the uh, culture of power. So what culture is that? Could you spell that out for our, our listeners, please? Um, as a language arts teacher, um, the culture of power in literature is um, the dominant um, feature in the canon is honestly old or dead white guys. Um, maybe a few women sprinkled here or there. Um, so there's a lot of people not seeing themselves reflected or, and there's even a lack of um, modern um, 
people of any any race or culture. Thanks. Yes, that's exactly right. I was trying to pull that out a little bit. So potentially, uh, you know, particularly for your um, your curriculum context, older white men, right? Um, and oftentimes uh, we talk about uh, the mainstream culture of schooling being around white culture or things that are really familiar to white populations of people. So I appreciate uh, thinking about that a little bit more. So when we ask teachers in the program to give advice to other teachers who wanted to do this work, this work of culturally responsive teaching, many teachers described that the relationship building was foundational for student success. And you all have really hinted at that in various ways, but that relevant to culturally responsive teaching, it's relationship building that includes sort of the reflection of students' cultures. So what are practical ways that teachers can build positive and meaningful relationships with their students and their cultures? Um, something that I really worked on this year um, and last year was, and I, I really liked, um, I believe Vicki mentioned this earlier, of we come out of teaching school knowing that relationships are important, right? I also think that you can't, um, you can't really have your first year teaching until you actually have your first year teaching. It's never quite what you expect it's going to be. Um, and you learn and you grow through that experience. And I think, you know, when I first started teaching, there was, and I think there still is in some areas, you know, the old adage of don't smile till Christmas, you know, you need to go in there and you need to be stern and you need to set this classroom management environment. I have found that to quite frankly, not work. It might work for some people. I, it never worked for me. Um, and so, and we all talked about, you know, coming in, I think relationships come from a place of mutual respect, but this year with the culturally responsive teaching, like we were all saying earlier, it's a much more deeper form of relationship building and getting to know your students. Um, one thing that my class did this year to really focus on relationship building, I can't even take credit for because it wasn't my idea, it was a student's idea and it was a great idea, um, was he came in, and this was when we were still all virtual, and I was having a really hard time getting kids in his particular class to talk. He was one of the only kids who was wanting to participate. And he came in and he said, you know, Miss Murray, can I ask a question of the day every day and just see if people answer the question? And I said, you know, if it's school appropriate, go for it. Let's see how this goes. And it transitioned into all of a sudden, all of the kids were answering. They were either answering in the chat or they were unmuting. Then other kids were sending me, can I ask the question of the day today? And it's just, we rolled with it. And I learned so much about my kids just with that one idea that my student had and letting him take the lead there. And, you know, the second question of the day, I learned that, you know, a big majority of that class speaks Arabic at home. And they were all able to share that together. That's not something that necessarily we would have known before, especially in the virtual world with, you know, cameras turned off and just two big initials looking back at me. Um, and then I went to a training with, and I got to shout him out because I love his book and I love his work, uh, Matthew Kay's Not Light But Fire, where he talks about doing Tell Me Something Good. And so I took that and I added that on to the question of the day. Okay, what's the question of the day? Now, who wants to share something good going on? And it's really, I mean, totally changed the way that my relationship building process goes. And one thing I can take from COVID is I don't know that I would have maybe been 
been in a position to say, when a kid comes in and says, can we do a question of the day every day? I might've said, we don't have time, but it was so important to build relationships this year. I'm, I, I value that. I'm, that student's idea is gonna move with me next year, so. What a great story. Anyone else have anything they wanna share about some practical things that teachers can do to build relationship with students in their cultures? Well, <clears throat> so I'm like Shannon, I'm, I'm an English teacher. Um, and one of the things that I realized is when I, when I give students reading material that mimics them, they connect so much better. They learn the curriculum that I want them to learn, the English stuff I want them to learn, but they, are re they enjoy reading it. They're connecting to it. <clears throat> They're saying, hey, we, we do that in, in, in my house. And um, one example was this year I read The Breadwinner. Um, it's a very short book um, about a girl in Afghanistan. When I started reading about it, I had so many students who popped in and said, yeah, Mrs. Brucker, we eat on the floor. What? <laughs> and it was just, it was so cool to have them connect to, and I, I really wasn't expecting that, but they totally connected to the book and told me things about their life. Um, and really what I was reading for was for them to learn English curriculum. And really what I learned was about them. So these are really fantastic practical sort of solutions. Um, and so as I've seen teachers engage in some of these really practical solutions in terms of engaging in culturally responsive teaching um, and the different action research projects, it also seems that teachers were finding ways to give students ownership of their learning experiences and their environment. And there's some examples of that and a little bit of what both you've said, Elizabeth and Vicki, um, but especially by positioning students to teach others in the classroom about themselves and their cultures. And so it sounds like students were being able to share themselves from things they were connecting to, from you know being able to answer this question of the day. So what are other experiences that you all have had uh, with regard to students getting this opportunity to teach others in the classroom about themselves and their cultures? And why do you think that's an important part of the work? Um, so I'm, I'm really in the middle of living this right now um, for our final book, I have a co-teacher, so we gave students choices um, between two different books that we would do our novel study on. Um, and the one that my group is reading is I'm Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter. Um, so first of all, students chose which book. If they didn't choose one, then they gave up that ownership. So they had the opportunity to choose. Um, the thing with that book, other than being a really great book, is that I butcher the names, I butcher the Spanish, I don't know what I'm doing um, with that. And you know, I try, I look it up, but it's not the same. I have a student who is actually face-to-face -face and he's like my protector. He's the one that go, yeah, you got it. Or actually you say it this way. So he's been teaching me throughout the whole thing and I'm learning a lot of phrases I didn't know. Um, and I keep thinking, you know, I bet my students have felt like this Part of the reason they don't want to read is those names or words or places that just aren't familiar for them. Um, and I've been reading the same stuff for so long, it's very familiar for me. So I'm in their position. Um, I let down my, um, down my, um, not my guard, but 
I put myself in the same position. I'm learning something. Um, and we've just had some great conversations with that. Um, and I feel like I'm learning a lot about some of my students' culture. They're seeing themselves reflected in what we're reading. And then they're teaching me off from the things we're reading and talking about. Any other thoughts about this? Yeah, I think that um, for, you know, for Tertulia with uh, our Spanish learners, the, these students are, you know, generally in the, you know, they're honor roll students and yet, you know, something like Spanish, learning a, a new language, uh, being very comfortable with their, their native language, they then try to speak in Spanish and they just feel uh, self-conscious, reluctant to, to speak in front of their peers. But when you um, bring them together with uh, native Spanish speakers who are fluent in Spanish and yet uh, uncomfortable speaking English, they both are, both groups are, are a little self-conscious, but as you, as you, as you get to practice with one another, um, that, that self-consciousness kind of falls away a little bit because they both feel empowered because the other group is, is trying to learn from them. And so while we have our, our English learners, um, very quick to, uh, speak Spanish when they try to speak English, uh, they can be, you know, reluctant. However, when you also then shift it back to the Spanish learner, uh, having to read a passage in Spanish, um, you know, they support one another in that way because they're both sort of vulnerable. It's not like, oh, you know, my peer group is like, who amongst the peer group is going to speak the best? Well, it's not this group. It's actually the other group, the, the, the Spanish speakers that are, you know, they're miles ahead of us. They're miles ahead of the, the, the even the Spanish teacher that these students would have class with every other day. Um, can't can't speak as fluently. So it, it's a cool way to empower a student um, in a in a context where uh, they're not in competition with one another, but they're really just feeding off each other and knowing like, OK, well, I'm uncomfortable about this. You're uncomfortable about that. And, you know, we'll just we'll work this out. Now, allowing students to have ownership of their learning experience and the environment, the classroom environment, sounds like teachers have to rethink power dynamics within the classroom. And you mentioned a little bit about this, Elizabeth, and saying like before, when a student asked you, if a student might have asked you, can we do a question of the day every day? You'd been like, we, won't, we don't have time for this, but it's a different sort of environment with COVID. Uh, so what advice do you all have for other teachers who might be nervous or hesitant about shifting the dynamics in their classrooms to be able to center students' voices? Um, so one thing I've, I've learned about um, CRT is that sometimes you have to sit in discomfort. And the first time you let go of the power, it's discomfort. And you have to sit in it for a while um, and, and that and that's okay that it's okay to sit in that discomfort for a while and it's good to teach your kids to sit in that discomfort for a while 
Um, I, I would say that the most important thing um, about making a change like this is go slow. Don't expect that it's going to change overnight, that you're going to be this different teacher and your kids are going to be these different students. Go slow with it. Um, I kind of, I went in the route of um, conversation. Uh, I know Elizabeth mentioned uh, Matthew Kay and I also was involved in that workshop and I read his book. Um, we had a, a book um, group that, that did that. Um, and so when I thought about this question, I really thought about having these courageous conversations. And really the way that I started it out this year was having a safe conversation, having a easy conversation at first. What's your favorite sport? And you get these conversations going. Um, and then you, as a teacher, you need to teach those listening skills and um, you have to kind of build off of what others say, like we were doing today that, you know, um, some of us say, well, like so-and-so said. Um, so we give some of those starters, those, those sentence starters for them, like, so what you're saying is, and I agree, or I connect, and I'm not sure I understand, could you tell more? Um, and then from there, you always have to have that way out of a conversation. So you have to have that. And I set the timeline. I set the time limit. And I say, OK, we're going to we're going to wrap up this conversation at this time so that it doesn't lead into something that I'm not prepared for. Um, but I really once you start. Doing those small things to release it into the students hands you realize, like Elizabeth mentioned, you realize how quickly they pick it up, how they will take, they will take the control and they will take the power and your classroom just becomes a different classroom um, where you can just stand back and watch the progress happen. Um, and I don't think I've gotten there yet, <laughs> especially with COVID and being in virtual um, it, it, it I, I'm waiting for that that time of, of complete release, um, but I'm taking it slow. And I think that's what's really important that you go slow when you release. One thing I think about when we talk about have to rethink that power dynamic um, is that faulty, or at least for me, that faulty idea that I had any power or the power, not any power, the power. Um, because there are a lot of what you end up having is a lot of power struggles, even if they're with the traditional way, even if they're not obvious, you might not even know that you're having a power struggle. Some students, you know, you're having a power struggle. Some of them, you know, they disconnect. They might be very quiet about it. Um, you don't really have that power then either. So it's important to realize that it's a learning community. Um, and yes, I, I have that knowledge of literature and um, things like that. But as far as, but it's not like something I just dump into them, that whole phrase, that sage on the stage, or, you know, I open up your brain and give you the knowledge, which sometimes my students I, want me to do. Like I've noticed that they've bucked it a little, like, just tell me what I have to do. No, it doesn't work that way. Um, so um so I think for the first idea is to really just acknowledge that you don't have the power anyway. Um, so um, that everybody is, you know, a sentient being, 
you know, their own person in your classroom. So you already have shared power. It's just what you're doing with it or you demanding or trying to take someone else's without even realizing it. Going off of um, something that Vicki was saying as well, um, you know, when we were being asked about what advice we would give um, for people who are interested in doing this kind of work in our um, cycle meetings, um, one of the first things that came to my head along with take it slow is you're still going to have bad days and don't let that discourage you because I feel like even the most culturally responsive classroom is going to have bad days. And that doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It just means that we're human and perfection doesn't exist. So um, that's something that I had to remind myself of because it's easy to get frustrated when you feel like, oh, I thought I was doing what I needed to do to get here. And we still had this disruption today. You know, there still was an issue, um, but don't give up, keep doing the work. It does pay off. And uh, Shannon, I agree with what you were saying about, about talking about evaluating our power as teachers in the first place is something that's really important. And I think that that's difficult and it's a journey, um, but I think it's so healthy for us as teachers to evaluate that. Yeah, I would just to follow what y'all have been saying about, um, you know, a power dynamic, but I think about like a hierarchy and how there are there are dominator hierarchies where the you know the person at the top is saying this is how it's going to be this is my vision I'm the boss versus uh, a growth hierarchy which is you know it realizes that that the other levels that are you know they enfold that into that higher level and so the natural a natural hierarchy which they all exist in nature uh, and they also exist in human nature is to focus on that that natural hierarchy, that growth hierarchy that that um, is really necessary for us to to function. And so for for students to feel uh, engaged and for the teacher to not necessarily think of like, well, OK, I'm in charge. It's more about I'm going to I'm going to make myself like a coach or or like I'm one of the team, but I'm the leader of the team. And without you guys, I can't be successful. So we need to work together to um, to learn and grow. And I think just by being vulnerable um, and being open and a human being, like you say, is 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 the best way to 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 get these other, you know, the other students to 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 participate and engage and 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 share their their own perspective. I love that coach analogy, um, Brewster. And also I was gonna say, you know, something that I've been thinking about a lot is, you know, when we have a fire drill or any type of safety drill at school, you know, we always say, oh, it's my job to keep you safe. This is why you need to be quiet on the walkway. This is why, you know, you need to listen to me. It's my job to keep you safe. Isn't part of keeping our students safe, doing this culturally responsive teaching I feel like that's a big part of keeping them safe. And um, I think that's a, a way to look at it instead of evaluating power. My job is not necessarily to have control of this classroom and over your learning, but it's to keep you safe and to help you grow like a coach would. And that isn't just in a safety drill situation. It's in my classroom. It's socially, emotionally, academically, all of it. And I think that that's what culturally responsive teaching kind of gives us the opportunity to do and do well. 
Really fantastic advice, everyone. And I think really practical things that others can sort of grasp onto. What about building relationships with parents and caregivers? How do you see parent and family engagement as an important aspect of bringing students' cultures into the classroom? And are there any ideas that you all have about family engagement that you think would help to make teachers more successful in engaging in culturally responsive teaching? One of the things you see early on in, in, in your relationships with students is how, how much they are managed maybe at home. And when you, you have students that, you know, maybe they are, um, you know, they are really more in charge of, of they're, they're, they're given much more responsibility over making sure that they're learning what they're supposed to be learning and that there's not somebody sort of checking behind them. Um, you find that if you, if you give them the opportunity to express themselves and just sort of share who they are and give them, make them feel strong about who they are, or at least valid about who they are, then, then they'll start to, um, almost invite their parents into the, into their education more and be able to answer questions about school. And what I found in my group is that I was getting, I started to get because with with my English language learning students, um, they were in some cases the only person in the house that was learning English. And so they would be responsible for informing their students of the, you know, whatever was happening at school or requirements for school. And so those parents would call me because they knew that, or even the, the student would call me about something, a question about school. And um, I realized that if you, if you give those students that opportunity or that, that you develop that relationship with them in the classroom, then they start to, um, you know, use that relationship with the teachers to inform their families of, of situations or whatever is happening in the school. And conversely, even with uh, students that may be, you know, in the honor roll level, or there's a lot of pressure at home to, to, to get the most out of their education as possible, uh, sometimes conversations about pathways, academic pathways in secondary education and beyond can lead to, you know, conversations that that they can then have with their families or even just do their own research about different ideas that they may have or different solutions to questions that they have. And so I think anytime you you are offering to students the opportunity to share their interests or their their culture or their you know their background um, is going to be an opportunity to bring those those families into it and to even share with the parents um, because I'm sure everybody here knows that when you have a a successful relationship with a student you you get that feedback at back to school night from from those parents that say, you know, oh, my my son or daughter, they really like your class or they really have enjoyed the virtual learning because I know the virtual learning, we realized early on that, you know, we're teaching or we're doing a lesson 
and uh, all those students that are at home behind those those uh, initial team meetings with the camera off, you know, the parent is probably there in the background listening. And then you get this feedback and you think, wow, um, I'm glad I was, you know, on point or whatever, that that feedback was good. So it's helped it's helped us kind of sharpen our our vocabulary and our communication style and really try to 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 encourage students to be, you know, to be present and, and to be sharing. One of the things I think about is that, I mean, again, it's a this whole learning thing is a partnership in our classroom. It's a learning partnership with us and the students. But then outside of it, um, there that parent and that community piece. And one of the things I really think is important to remember is that parent engagement or parent and caregiver engagement, we need to remember that it doesn't look the same for everybody. I've got my own background um, where, you know, my parents were at those PTA meetings. They were at the school board meetings. That's because their job ended at five and the meetings were set up that started after their job. Um, you know, having reliable transportation. They only had one job. They're just too often. I, I, you know, I hear, oh, well, we can't get through to that parent um, or that parent just never calls me back. Um, the truth is, you know, I'm a parent um, and I and those other parents have a lot in common in that we care about our kids and we can't just assume because we can't get through to them that they don't care. Um, I have a lot of students whose parents' primary language or only language is Spanish. And, um, you know, even with the interpreter, we have to remember that it doesn't mean they're not interested or if they can't get to a school board meeting, which brings me to the fact that we need to rethink when we're having meetings um, and really, um, really, really figure out how we can involve more parents that way. And when, when I say meetings, bigger meetings, for the school, for the district, um, as well as keeping in mind parent meeting times because of jobs, multiple jobs, other responsibilities. Are there any thoughts, final thoughts or pieces of advice that you all would like to share? I've learned that I don't know a lot and that I have a lot more to learn, um, which I think is a good thing back to learning communities is that that's how it should be. That it's time to, to realize I went into education because I like to learn and I want to share that with other people. And if I was only, if I was just giving out the knowledge, then I've lost that part I liked about it, learning things. So with culturally responsive teaching, I feel like I have a lot more questions today than I did that first day we met up. So um, I have a lot more answers too, but then I have a lot more questions. Uh, I would just say that, I, you know, I feel like I got into education because I could connect with students. Um, and I think this program, culturally responsive teaching, just allows you to connect to a wider audience of students uh, as we become less homogenous and more uh, diverse, that it culturally responsive teaching allows you to just connect with more people as we, you know, the world becomes more integrated. We're able to really um, connect
connect with our students and learn about ourselves as well. And, and it helps to, it's just a exciting time to, to teach because of, you know, the stress of the last year has really sharpened a lot of us. Um, whether we wanted to be sharpened or not, we've just had to step up to it. And, uh, and I think, you know, just, you know, getting better tools to be able to connect with students, trying to connect with students through, you know, um, cameras off and just making that stuff and trying to come up with ways to, to draw them out. I think this culturally responsive program has really helped to um, increase our awareness of, of our, of, of the cultures of the world that, that we become more integrated and, in, you know, our rich, our community is, is diverse and it's, it's, uh, it's great that it is because I think it can grow, you know, grow stronger and more integrated as we, as we continue programs like this. Well, we will have to hold our conversation there for now. Thank you all so much for sharing your perspectives and your advice and your wisdom. So listeners, you can learn more about our work with culturally responsive teaching on the Merck website at merck.soe.bcu.edu slash projects. And we will be sharing lots of information from this study. So we will be sure to sign up for our email listserv on our homepage to be able to stay up to date with this research. You can also subscribe and listen to other episodes of Abstract wherever you get your podcasts, including SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Our thanks as always to the VCU School of Education for supporting the work that we do at Merck and to all of our partner school divisions, Chesterfield, Goochland, Hanover, Henrico, Petersburg, Powhatan, and Richmond Public Schools. Thanks also to Virginia Center for Inclusive Communities for leading the student voice component of the project that we have. And a big thank you to Shannon, Elizabeth, Brewster, and Vicki today for your amazing work on this project and sharing your advice. And of course, thanks as always to you for joining our conversation. We hope you will share this episode with anyone who you think would find it interesting or helpful. And this has been another episode of Abstract, the podcast of the Metropolitan Educational Research Consortium in the School of Education at Virginia Commonwealth University, where we explore issues and ideas in public PK-12 education. Let's talk again soon.